Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. Great stuff. Good evening, everybody. So the front row is with me and the glory of the Lord shineth upon my face. Um, but it's good to be with you. My name is Zander. For those of you who don't know me, I'm seeing a new face or some new faces. And um, I'm guessing some of you saw me last year last. Um, I also look like a new face. Um, what I'm really trusting God for is that it would not be like Samson who had his hair cut off and then lost all his power. But tonight we'll see, maybe gives me some feedback after the sermon. Um, but it's really good to be back. This is our second evening service, coolest service of this whole campus um, that we're running. And then I think next week, Sunday, um, everyone should be back. So there should be no excuses for people not being here. And I'm really excited for this year. But tonight we are starting um, with our annual Disciple Shift series. And this is our fifth time that we've done this um, consecutively, which is basically a time in our year where we trust in God to shift us from one space to another in terms of how we disciple one another, to, to cause us to shift from one space to a better space in terms of our relationship with God. Now, the theme of this year's sermon series, in other words, what we will be speaking about for the next four weeks is this thing of being devoted to the way. And that will become more clear to you as we're going to dive into the word tonight. But I want to start off with a question. So won't you maybe turn to your neighbor and answer the following question to them. What are some of the things that you cannot go without in your day? Okay, let me give you an example, right? Brushing your teeth should be something that you can't go without in your day. Okay, maybe if you're married, um, maybe a back rub. <clears throat> um, a back rub is maybe something that you can't go without in your day. If you're, if you're not married, back rub is not, um, just don't go there, right? But maybe let's spend about 30 seconds sharing with your neighbor what is the one thing that you cannot go without in your day. All right, so let's, let's get a bit of feedback. What are some of the things that you cannot go without in your day? Any brave takers that want to give us yes? Sleeping, okay? Sleeping is pretty good. Anyone love sleeping? Good. Over here? What? <laughs> I mean... I, w I wouldn't have guessed. <laughs> and anybody agree with that? We have a breather in the house, all right? One more. Yes. <laughs> what? Breakfast. What did you say? Toilet paper. Okay, number one or number two. Right. So, would you agree with me that there are certain things in life that we deem of vital importance to our lives? Now, beyond breathing and wiping yourself and stuff like that and eating and sleeping, there are things that we add to our lives that we deem to be vitally important to our lives. And because these things are so important, we actually make space in our schedules to spend time doing those things. And we spend our money to make sure that those things happen. I pay my wife for a back rub once a week. No, I'm joking. <laughs> that sounded off for a moment. But the reality is we devote ourselves to certain things that we deem to be important to our lives. And so when we look at our faith and when we look at Christianity, it's also something that some of us 
deem as vital and critical to our existence. And therefore, we make time and devote ourselves in various different ways to see that we actually spend time growing in that area. And so what we want to do over the next few weeks is we want to remove the red tape from Christianity. We want to lift up all the traditions and the disciplines that we oftentimes find to be a vital part of Christianity. And we want to see what's underneath all of that red tape, all of those traditions, and all of those disciplines. And what we're hoping to find underneath all of these things is that the Christian faith, the thing, the religion that we have devoted ourselves to is built around a person and not around things. It's built around a who and not a what. And I'm trusting my prayer for you over the next few weeks is that that will be your story. That you would be able to walk away from here saying that I've met the person Jesus. And I'm not committed or devoted to a religion per se, but I'm devoting myself to a person, to following the person of Jesus Christ. When we look at the Bible in the book of Acts, we see that outsiders, people that were not initially part of the Christian faith, actually looked at Christians and they gave them this title. They referred to them as the followers of the way. In other words, they didn't look at them and, and sort of dub them Catholic, right? Roman Catholic or, or Baptist Church or AFM Church. They didn't look at them and sort of file them under a religious group. They looked at what they were doing and the lives that they were busy living. And they, the only appropriate terminology that they could ascribe to them was that there was a way of life that they devoted themselves to. They were followers of the way. They didn't receive this name because they upheld a lot of religious traditions or, or disciplines. It was a way of life. It was a person whom they followed that got them labeled as followers of the way. How many of you are currently in a romantic relationship? In other words, have a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Are, are you? Okay. Good, good. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm committed for life. Anyone, put your hand up if you have a girlfriend, if you have a boyfriend, if it's complicated, if you're chasing and they're running away, anybody? I, I think that's probably the most, the most popular one. But here's the reality about any romantic relationship is when you fall in love with someone, when you get infatuated with someone, there are certain activities that follow that. All right, and guys, we put a lot of effort into the moment that you actually ask her to, to date, all right? That, that, that she would be your, what is a term that is not sticky, right? <laughs> that, that she would be your, your bae. Yes, that's the one, all right? I was like, four years ago, I, was, I, stand, I stood in front of a high school. I'm like, what does bae mean? Okay, what, what is a bae? And they're like... The bay, man. Okay, so, so I know what that means. But th that moment where you actually ask her to be your bay, actually a lot of thought and care goes into that moment, not because of the moment, but because of the individual around whom this moment is built. 
And then there are the dates that we have, romantic picnics and going out on, on boat rides in Bloemfontein. I know it sounds weird, all right? But, but there are dates that we put a lot of effort into, not because of the dates themselves, but it is all in pursuit of getting to know a person better and expressing our love towards the person who we care for. And we notice the small gestures in the relationship, the flowers that is being left somewhere for her to find the letter that is being written. And all of these things are built around my devotion and motivated by my love for that person. And our WhatsApp messages are carefully thought about before we sent them. I remember when Anal and I, I think it was actually before we started dating, we were flirting over WhatsApp. Okay, can you believe that? And in Afrikaans, when, when you would say you're going to, um, when you would ask, um, are we going to see each other later, you will, you will say, and so I had this brilliant idea, instead of typing seen, typing soon, which means kiss. So not are we going to see each other later, are we going to kiss each other later? And then I planned it that I sent the message and waited like 30 seconds and then post like the little star and sin next to it. But for a moment there, for 30 seconds, I now thought I wanted to kiss her. And that just did something to me. It was so such an, I don't even think you know this. But there's something about what we do when we are devoted and in love with someone that is motivated by our love for that person. And so when we look at Christianity, shouldn't our traditions and our disciplines and our habits be built around our devotion to a person and motivated by our love for that person? Last year, we did a study in Doxodeo Central where we asked some of you to fill out a survey with regards to your personal faith and how church fits into that. And one of the results that came back that largely motivated what we're preaching about is that it said that most of the people in this family actually read their Bible on a regular basis. But the downside to that was very few people in this family who read their Bibles regularly actually enjoyed reading their Bibles. And I was thinking about, about this thing, and I've personally experienced this many times in my life, and I ask myself the question, Lord, but won't you come and stir a devotion motivated by love for you again in our hearts? Then scripture reading will not be a duty for us. It won't be a chore for us. It would be a pursuit of a person for us. Every time I open my Bible, I'm excited about what Jesus is going to say to me. It's like opening up that WhatsApp from your bay that you've not yet read. And you're excited to hear what they're about to say to you. You're excited to know what's happening in their life and what they think about you. See, it seems like people feel that they need to read the Bible more than what they want to read the Bible. And there are different seasons that we might go through seasons like this. But I believe that because Christianity is such an intricate part of our culture, of South Africa, as South Africans, we have, we have been taught to believe that it's good for us to read Bible. You should read Bible because it's good for you. But I don't know if I exactly agree with that statement. 
Because it sometimes feels like we're teaching people they're supposed to read their Bible because it's good for them, but we never actually teach them that it's pointing us to someone who desires to have a deep, intimate relationship with us. I want to tell you the only reason it's good for you to read the Bible is because it will introduce you to the person of Jesus. That's it. If it doesn't do that, it's not living up to the intended design that God put on it. So I want to quickly show you a video of where the Bible came from. I think it's important for us to, to start there to ask ourselves, where, who wrote the Bible? Where did it even come from? And then we'll take it from there. Okay, so he nailed the explanation of where the Bible comes from. I want to encourage you, do yourself a favor and go and do some research on where the Bible exactly comes from. And when I watch this video and the bit of research that I've done, the one thing that I've noticed is that there was much intention from God's side to leave something tangible, physical for us to be able to read as we go on the journey of discovering who God is and what his intentions are with us. Matt Chandler says the following, very significant quote, the Bible is not about the Bible. The Bible is about Jesus. And I want to tell you, if you approach the Bible in this kind of way, you will find Jesus in the pages of your Bible. You will get to know him better. See, our knowledge of the Bible and our knowledge of Christianity, for that matter, has to move from a place where it's just merely information over to being revelation. It has to move over from being head knowledge to heart knowledge. It has to move over from being theory to experience because that is why God gave us his word in the first place. Last year in October, um, we attended a graduation ceremony of a Christian school that has many schools right across Africa. And there were probably about four or 500 students attending this graduation. So they started off and they're saying, listen, the first prize is called this. And then they go on to explain what the prize is actually for. And they explain that the next prize is going to be handed out for all of the, the teenagers who could memorize the book of John. I promise you 40 students, 40 teenagers got up on stage and they were able to recite the whole book of John and they received the prize. Now I'm sitting there as a pastor. I'm like, I, I barely got John, John 3.16, okay, working on 17. And here are these kids that have memorized the entire book of John. Towards the end of the evening, there were kids, teenagers, who received prizes for having memorized seven books of the Bible. And they were able to recite that to you. And I'm sitting there, and I'm blown away by the capacity that they have to memorize it. But at the same time, there's this friction or conflict inside of me where I ask the question, is this mere head knowledge, or are they actually living what they have memorized? Is it up here or has it made the journey down and impacted their lives? Because even if you're able to recite the whole New Testament, if it never impacts you in your heart, if it never changes your life, if it never reaches or directs or points you to the person of Jesus, I'm not sure that we're using it 
in the way that God intended for us to use it. So I want to ask you a few questions tonight. When you're reading the Bible, what are you looking for? Are you reading the Bible only when it's going tough with you, when you're looking for some comfort? And how are you looking to find what you're looking for in Scripture? What are you hoping to find when you open up your Bible and you start reading it? Are you hoping to find Jesus? Or are you hoping to find wisdom? Are you hoping to find good advice? And then my next question would be, how often do you find what you are looking for when you read your Bible? Because my, my assumption is that if we are continually, frequently finding in Scripture what we're looking for, reading Scripture will be a joy to us. But I want to say this, that if you are reading the Bible in the same way you would read like a, a chappy paper, you remember those chappy papers who had the like amazing facts on them? Okay, or if you are reading the Bible in the same way that you read a newspaper to be informative, to give you information, or if you are reading the Bible in the same way you would a dictionary, that you take it off the shelf every now and again to just quickly look up something. Or maybe you're reading the Bible in the same way you would read a Facebook post or an Instagram post where when you have time, you scroll through it, hoping that you'd find something interesting. Because if that is your reality, you will be disappointed with the Bible. And if you're reading your Bible for good advice, you will find good advice in the Bible. If you're reading the Bible for wisdom, you will find wisdom in your Bible. But I want to tell you, very few motivations will bring you as much joy as looking for Jesus in the Bible and finding Him. Being led closer to Him. Finding a deeper intimacy with Jesus because of His Word that you read on a regular basis. John 5 verse 39 to 40, Jesus is basically speaking to the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees, if you don't know, are the people who knew the Bible better than all of us in this room combined. But the problem for them and the problem that Jesus had with them was that they read it for head knowledge. They read it from a performance point of view. And then Jesus confronts them. And in verse 39, he says this, You study the scriptures diligently. In other words, you read your Bible frequently. You read your Bible often. And the reason you're reading your Bible frequently is because you think that in them you have eternal life. So Jesus is saying, you think that by you reading your Bible frequently, that God is somehow pleased with you. More pleased than what he would have been if you never read your Bible or read your Bible once a month. And then he goes on to say, these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So Jesus is saying this, you're missing it. Yes, you know the scriptures very well. Yes, you read your Bible very frequently. But if you've not been led by scripture to the person of Jesus, you're missing it. You're missing out on something beautiful that Jesus has for you. See, when we read Scripture, and when you make time in your week to read some Bible, to devote yourself 
to read scripture, hoping to receive some kind of reward from God, you're missing it and you're missing out. Because in our study of scripture, Jesus is our reward. It's like a treasure map that will lead you to the person of Jesus, which is the ultimate reward that you will ever receive. So you don't read someone's testament after they've passed away to look at just how beautiful they've constructed their sentences. You don't open up a testament with lawyers and read through it to, to see the beautiful punctuation or the beautiful um, metaphors that they use. No, you read it to learn something about the intent and the final thoughts and emotions that that person had towards you before they left, before they passed away. And I want to tell you, Scripture is God's testament to you and I. And when we read it, we need to ask ourselves, what is God's intention for me? What is the invitation that is running right through Scripture for you to say yes to and for you to embrace? And I've realized there might be many reasons why we don't enjoy reading our Bibles. Maybe some of you might be sitting here and you don't enjoy reading your Bible because you don't really believe that God wants to be in relationship with you. You're not convinced of the fact that Jesus wants to be your friend. Maybe you've grown up and, and you've had a hard time making friends. You've been rejected continually and you're asking yourself the question, if people at school didn't want to be friends with me, if people on campus didn't want to be friends with me, why would God want to be friends with me? And you completely disqualify yourself from a living relationship with God. Or maybe the reason that you don't enjoy reading scripture is because you've tried it before, but it doesn't seem to work. God just doesn't seem to speak to you through his word. Maybe for some of you, you feel unqualified or disqualified to read the Bible and to understand it. Maybe some of you are sitting here and you're reading your Bible because of a devotion to a religion and not to a relationship. And maybe this shift that needs to come for you tonight is you need to go, Lord, whenever I open my Bible, I'm going to do it because I want to know you. more. I want to do it so that I can grow in my relationship with you. See, if the Bible is merely an informative piece of literature, the reality is that it's only useful, mildly useful to some people. But if we're saying that the Bible is revelational literature, it is of great vital importance, not only to some, but to everyone. Second Peter 1, verse 16. It's Peter who used to be a disciple of Jesus, and he's writing to a church whom he's had great influence in, He's ministered into that area. He's, he's preached the gospel to them. And Peter has been known as a guy who would say one thing and do a completely different thing. And so he had many instances where he would preach one thing and then live another. And he has a track record where, where scripture and what God believes and, and told him was head knowledge, but it never became heart knowledge. And then in this scripture that I want to read to you, 
we see this change take place in Peter's life. And he says this, 2 Peter 1 verse 16. He says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. So here's what Peter is saying. He's saying, when we preach the gospel to you, it wasn't something that we read in the newspaper. It's not something that we saw on a video. It's not something that we read in a book. It's not something that we heard from someone else. He goes on to say, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter is saying this, what I've been telling you for the past few years is something that I've experienced personally. And my question to you tonight is if you're speaking about Jesus, if you're reading about Jesus, is that coming from a place where you've heard it somewhere? You've read about it somewhere or has it moved from head knowledge to heart knowledge? And you can say with confidence what I'm sharing with you, what I believe, what I'm reading about. I'm an eyewitness. I was there. And then Peter refers back to the Mount of Transfiguration, where God literally opened up the heavens and spoke with an audible voice, affirming the identity of Jesus. And Peter is saying, I was there. I saw it all happen. I saw it take place. I'm convinced today that Jesus is king because I was there when that happened. I remember when I got saved in 2008, I wasn't a Christian before that at all. I've heard the story of Jesus many times before that. I was um, befriended with a lot of oaks who, who did not like Jesus, persecuted all the Christians in our school. And I remember it was in April on a Saturday evening in 2008 when someone told me a story about how God is waiting for me to come back to him despite everything that I've done. And I've heard this story probably a thousand times before then. But in that moment, something shifted inside of me. Where it's not a story that I merely remembered mentally. It was something that I experienced spiritually and emotionally. And the story of Jesus moved from head knowledge to heart knowledge. And it completely changed my life. And I remember how for the weeks following that, how for the months following that, how my friends and I sat weekends reading the Bible with a cigarette in the one hand and the Bible in the other, trying to figure out how God feels about us, trying to figure out what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus. John 20, verse 30 to 31. John is coming to the end of the book that he that he wrote, where he wrote about the things that Jesus done, the miracles that Jesus has done, the words that he spoke, the sermons that he gave, his interaction, his engagement with people. And he comes to the end of this writing and he, and he gives us the reason why he took the time to write it in the first place. And he says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, many signs which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing that you have, may have life in his name. He's saying, I, I didn't write this book to fascinate you. 
I didn't write this book to sell copies. I didn't write this book for you to study it from a mere informative perspective. I wrote this book so that you can believe. You and I have the Bible to point us to a person, to introduce us to the person of Jesus Christ. There's a movie called The Case for Christ, which is based on a book written, written by Lee Strobel, who was a man that was married. He was an atheist journalist, and his wife got radically saved. And after her salvation, he made it his life's goal to prove her that she was believing and putting her faith in a fairy tale. And so as a journalist that was an atheist, started studying scripture, started reading Bible, started doing research. A few months into his journey of studying the story of Jesus, he couldn't deny that the person of Jesus is still alive and he gave his life to God. And he was introduced to the person of Jesus. I want to tell you there are thousands upon thousands of stories of Muslims trying to find truth. And when they start reading the Bible, all of a sudden, they meet Jesus in dreams. God reveals himself to them. I want to tell you, the word of God is a powerful thing that will introduce you, that will make head knowledge become, become heart knowledge and give you a revelation of the person of Jesus Christ. And so when we read scripture, God invites us into a relationship. He invites us to move from being informed to being transformed. God invites us from knowing Him or knowing of Him to knowing Him personally. He invites us to move from head knowledge to heart knowledge, from examining a religion to experiencing a person, and from thinking to believing, and from information to revelation of the person. Of Jesus. C.S. Lewis says the following. He says this Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, it is of infinite importance. The only thing that Christianity cannot be is moderately important. I want to tell you Christianity is not the kind of religion that we can associate with and just mediocrely read the Bible. It's either of no importance or it is of infinite importance. And I read in the news that there are more than 50 countries in which the Bible is now banned. And I ask myself the question, if the Bible is a mere informative piece of literature, why then do governments go out of their way to make sure that the book does not spread in their countries? Because they're hearing the stories of the book leading people to a person introducing them to Jesus. I want to end with a story. When I gave my life to God after school, I went to Bible school and I started studying. At that point, I had quite a few friends who were still atheists, believed in evolution and all of that. And I remember going back or coming back to Bloemfontein during holidays and meeting up with my friends and they were ready for me. They had many questions about why I believed what I did. And they were trying to, to prove that I was believing in a fairy tale. They were trying to, trying to disprove my faith. And I remember I had, I had horrific moments with my friends where I simply didn't have all the answers. 
But I remember a few years after that, one of these atheist friends of mine came to visit me in Wellington in the Cape. And he traveled with me for the day. We spent some time together just chatting about this and that. And I remember, remember the evening I brought him to our Bible school campus. And we were just sitting with a few friends, four or five friends from the Bible school in our sort of lounge area. And there was a guitar and someone grabbed the guitar and we just spontaneously started singing songs. It eventually ended up in us worshiping God and it became this deep, intimate moment, very spontaneously. And I remember as I was worshiping, as I was praying, at some point I opened up my eyes and I saw this guy who was an atheist on his knees, weeping in tears. And, and I couldn't believe it. I, I couldn't, in that moment, I couldn't believe that if I considered the, the conversations that we've had before, that in this moment, it wasn't a conversation who transformed him. It was an experience with the living God who changed his life. And I spoke to him afterwards, and he said he realized in that moment he did not need his questions answered. He needed Jesus to walk up to him and introduce himself to him. I want to ask you to close your eyes. And maybe you're sitting here tonight and you have a lot of questions. Up until this point, Christianity for you has been head knowledge. You've not had an experience. You've not found that scripture leads you to the person of Jesus. And unfortunately tonight, I don't have three steps to go from information to revelation, but I trust the Holy Spirit and I know He's real. And I know that if you open up your heart, willing to meet the person of Jesus, that He will meet you where you are at. Or maybe some of you are sitting here and you have been a Christian for a while. You have had an experience with God. You've met Jesus, you've given your life to Him. But for the past few years, Scripture reading, spending time in God's Word has become dull. And it's been a while since you've had an experience and an encounter with the person of Jesus. So just where you're at in this moment, I'm not going to ask you to stand or put up your hand. just want you to have an honest conversation with God. Just tell Him exactly where you're at. Just open up your heart to meet the person of Jesus. Father, I want to pray tonight that you would meet us where we are at. For those who need an encounter, I pray give them an encounter, Jesus. I pray for those who need to fall in love with you all over again. Holy Spirit, won't you come and do that in their hearts. But I declare that we will be a people not following tradition or religion, but we will be found to be followers of Jesus. In your name, we pray that. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.